You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring in news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 281. I'm your host, Andrei Spinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Brian Ego and Pontus Spökman. See ya, Stock. All right, trips. Hey, son, hey, son. Hey, Brian, you're back. Hey, how the hell is it going, folks? I haven't seen you around for a while. <laughs> it's been seven months since I was last on the show. Yeah. Yeah, in, back in November. Do you want to guess what I've done since then? Yeah. What? Uh, yeah, please. No. But playing the bass? <laughs> no, we don't, we don't want to guess. Please tell us. Let me put you out of your misery. Pretty much nothing. Um, the first piece of anxiety I had when you asked me on was, what have I done since I last came on? Not a lot, really. And I can't even blame COVID for it. I'm just going to blame laziness and children mm-hmm. and work. So nice to have you guys <laughs> beam me back on board when right. I least expected it. It's great to be back. Oh, but come on, Brian. We have seen your pretty face once in a while on the uh, Skeptics in the Pub online uh, adventures. <laughs> that is true. Just eat, uh, uh, There's been an occasional bout of emceeing on, on Skeptics in the Pub online, but uh, there's a there's a long list of uh, other MCs now doing a, doing a sterling job as well so you'll probably see me less and less in there as well Yeah. so yeah enjoy me while you can get me folks <laughs> we do <laughs> dear listeners dear listeners uh, if you ever doubt the commitment of my fellow co-hosts so Pontus is sitting here on a Tuesday night when Sweden are playing in the last 16 of the European Championships and he's recording podcasts instead. Andrash is barely dressed. (laughs) Sweltering. Probably shouldn't have announced that out loud, but yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Make yourselves a mental picture, audience members of of Andras, barely wearing a vest at the moment, um, dealing with the sweltering heat of the grief-ridden loft that he appears to be sitting in at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, but, you know, we we have to uh, do this because nobody else will. And uh, besides, I I have information uh, on the side here that Sweden is uh, down... 1-0 1-0 against Ukraine. So I'll, I'll write that one off and I'll be probably be happier doing this episode than, than watching that miserable game. That's very much the approach I took when Scotland were playing. Do other things and um, pay attention if it's going well. <laughs> it didn't go well. Yeah. I, I did a cool thing when uh, uh, Portugal played against Hungary because I was in my, uh, on Madeira. Uh, at the time, but I couldn't care less. So I I was not watching the game. People of my group did. They were very depressed the next day, but I could have told them that uh, easily. <laughs> but beforehand, and it was my difficult job to try and get them out of their misery. Perk them up the next day. With a beautiful day of uh, brilliant things to see. Right. So Nice. Yeah. Speaking of misery... And Scotland. (laughs) I can tell our audience that as we record this, this Edinburgh Science Festival is in full swing. Isn't that right, Brian? It is. If there's one thing that makes me think about depression in Scotland, it's when you mention Edinburgh. But yes, Edinburgh Science (laughs) Festival is ongoing. Oh, we have great friends over there. Don't forget the guys from Glasgow. So (laughs) we do. And and I know the Edinburgh skeptics have been running, um, you know, some online talks. And I think if you're picking up this podcast when it comes out, which you should, there's still one event of theirs that you still be able to catch. So head on over to the Edinburgh Skeptics website, their Facebook page, and you'll get all the details there. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That speech or that talk will be held on 6th of July, and it's called Dark Triad Traits, Attractiveness and Sexual Behavior. I That sounds very intriguing. I have no idea what it's all about, but it's done with Dr. Gail Brewer, so I'm sure it's great because all of the events that the Edinburgh Skeptics uh, set up are, are are good. And I think also, if you have missed some of these talks, they're very likely to appear on the Edinburgh Skeptics podcast, which is actually the other ESP podcast uh, sometime in the near future. They usually record the audio from their talks. 
and uh, then they release them uh, on the podcast. So I think you should uh, have, have a look out for that. And uh, so we send our regards to our friends over there, Sean, Heather, Mark, and the others. And we know they're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the best, folks. <laughs> yeah. the, the Edinburgh Science Festival is a big thing, I, I understand. I mean, we took a peek on the official uh, website and there were... 68 in-person events but there was also 151 online events and it's all over it started on the 26th of june and it will run through 11th of july so it's a big thing huge i don't care what you say about edinburgh brian I just love the place. <laughs> One of the reasons why is that sciency vibe that it has to it. I really like that. And that's thanks to a lot of people that we know from the skeptical community as well. For sure. At least in part. I'm only kidding about Edinburgh. I have fun every time I go there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's your official thing, right? little bit of rivalry, yeah. Exactly. I'd probably be ousted from Glasgow Skeptics if I didn't say something snipey about Edinburgh when I had the chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, guys, do you know what the best way to combine science and what science has to offer with our terrible earthly miseries is? <laughs> Leaving Earth. Leaving Earth. Leaving Earth thanks to science and technology and that is what what astronauts do <laughs> we mentioned several months ago when when the the call came out for uh, applicants to become astronauts for ASA the European Space Agency yeah. and guys more than 22,000 applications were sent in from from across Europe. Wow. Isn't that crazy that so many they, people want to become astronauts? They're not going to need a bigger rocket, I think. Oh, at least several of them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that really cool? I mean, yeah. there are so many people, at least this many people around Europe, who are absolutely crazy about space exploration and manned space programs. And I, I just find that fascinating. It's super exciting, right? Good times to live in, yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, to be a member of the HR team uh, for for ESA, right, and trying to sort of whittle your way down through all of those um, all of those applications, right? But yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, it would be interesting to see like what the mix is of you know people who are interested in science and space travel, or people just who have shitty jobs or no job, and they'll just take anything, you know. Like, if you're unemployed, you may as well get fired. That sounds like a Tory policy, doesn't it? If you're unemployed, <laughs> we're going to fire you into space. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah, you're right that it's the number of applications. It doesn't say anything about how many people actually qualify or would be eligible to become astronauts in the first place based on their uh, previous experience and their CVs and all that. But yeah, the the requirements were very strict, and the reason, the only reason why I didn't apply was that I I don't have the necessary qualifications. Oh, okay. Do you know how how long training you have to go through before if you are selected? And is it how many are they looking for? T five, ten? How many? The application process will have around fifteen hundred people by the time they they go to the final part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So now, uh, there is a reality TV show just waiting to happen. Could you imagine that? <laughs> I was thinking about that. Europe's got talent. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. Like like in the early stages, like you could have, you know, like the ones that are definitely not going to make it, you know, just have them like film them on the roundabout at the local swing park, maybe like falling <laughs> off and puking and stuff and they get eliminated and we work our way towards maybe the public can vote. <laughs> I mean, what better way to choose an astronaut than by, you know, trial by television? Yeah, right. I can think of worst ways to do it right enough. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. The, the messages, the text messages of the public that should decide the fate of those people. I certainly agree. There's no better way, no scientific way anyway, <laughs> to, to choose. All right, enough of this. It doesn't really concern us. It's just exciting that it's happening. So why don't we move on and crack on with the show? Yeah. And in Onika's absence, it will fall on to Brian's laps, this particular task of talking about something that is relevant to this week in skepticism. All right, thank you. So, um, dear listeners, again, if you're picking this podcast up when it comes out, 
It will be Friday the 2nd of July. So I would like you, it's Friday anyway, right? The weekend's beginning. What better way to celebrate? Crack open a drink um, and celebrate the 75th birthday of Peter George Popoff. Oh, oh, (laughs) I know. Right, so um, for those of you who don't know him or, or know of him, you clearly haven't been paying much attention. So Peter Popoff is a German-born American t- televangelist and debunked clairvoyant and faith healer. So, you know, born in Germany in the ashes of the, the Second World War, um, he escaped with his family shortly afterwards to the US of A and has made himself a very, very lucrative career being a, a faith healer. Most notably in sceptical circles, he was exposed in 1986 for using a concealed earpiece to receive radio messages from... God. From his wife. (laughs) Yes. And just to be clear, to the best of our knowledge, his wife is not God. Well, some marriages are like that. Sure. (laughs) This woman, I think she was called Elizabeth. Is that right, Elizabeth? Uh, Yeah, uh, I'm going to take your word for that, Pontus. (laughs) My notes say... His wife. Okay. Sorry, Mrs. Popoff, yeah. uh, for not name-checking you properly for your part in uh, in the fraud. <laughs> so, yeah, she she would, by radio, would feed him names, addresses, and ailments of audience members, and Popoff was falsely claiming that God was revealing this information to him so he could cure them through faith healing. Um, the, the interesting thing is, though, folks, disappointingly, again, as we know in sceptical circles, you can sort of bat down the frauds but they just keep on popping back up um he went bankrupt um the year after that but in the late 90s made a comeback he's back on television of some sort somewhere yeah to promote his uh, miracle spring water on late night infomercials in fact a few years ago our good friend marsh and the good thinking society documented some of his uh his latest promises of fabulous extreme fortune and miracles. So he uses the, what's it called? The seed gospel it is, uh, where if you give Mr. Popoff a little bit of money, God's going to reward you with even more, right? And so, yeah, he's still to this day making a, a tidy living out of uh, of selling his, his godly wares. Again, just to give you a bit more information, I want to read from the About page from peterpopoff.org. <laughs> okay, and I'm going to read the full page to you, right? So sit, strap yourselves in, folks. Here we go. Peter has been involved in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ for over 40 years. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Strange. Not quite impressive. The shortest CV I've heard. Shortest CV ever, right? And I can't imagine why they don't want to go into more details. There's no need to say more. Come on. Uh, yeah, exactly, right? Maybe less is more, right? The yeah. next funniest thing on his website is when you go to the page to order his Miracle Spring Water, the top of the page says, Note, do not ingest the Miracle Spring Water. So, dear listeners, if you are celebrating Peter Popoff's 75th birthday today, please use alcohol like a normal human being. Do not ingest any of his Miracle Spring water. (laughs) Happy birthday, Peter. (laughs) Yeah. Right, yeah. You know, with all the money he's uh, earning all the time and swindling out of people, you could think that he could afford a better wig. That is some sort of fungus on his head and it's obviously not his real hair uh it 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 looks terrible and uh, i guess nobody has the heart to tell him as a man who is very follically challenged uh, (laughs) i am not going to make any comment on uh, (laughs) on the syrup that old peter's got on well at least you're not trying to conceal it i i'm owning it yeah yeah but i i I, you know dear listeners you won't see this because you you know it's a podcast but i have started growing a a kind of a semi-facial furniture uh, attempt here it's making me look sort of um borderline hobo um but you know i'm a respectable hobo is the look i'm currently cultivating Mm, yeah by qed in february it will be okay i'm gonna be full full hobo (laughs) if you keep it up full hobo by then yeah (laughs) okay thanks for uh commemorating that real giant of a man brian and uh we should probably mention that it was James Randi and his team. Yes. So, yeah, when James Randi did the expose him for, for using the earpiece, uh, it was such a big thing and it really hit him hard. 
but uh, we heard him, as you mentioned, Brian, the unsinkable rubber ducks, as Randy referred to him, one of those rubber ducks that, that keep popping up. You try to keep them under the water, but they, the moment you lift your arms, it's yeah. the end of it. And uh, Peter Popoff is one of those examples. You've got to admire the persistence, if nothing else. Yeah, that's one thing. Okay, so happy birthday and congratulations for being so persistent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much again. And moving on to another big guy who's worthy of uh, some criticism, and that is the Pope. So, Pontus, would you like to poke the Pope? I would like to poke the Pope, and not for his wig this time. <laughs> I've actually been fairly impressed uh, in the past by Francis' political skills. He, he has maintained the image of the quote-unquote progressive pope for a long time now while balancing the conservative faction of the church uh, to, to still keep them somewhat happy but it is a tough game and his people are getting uneasy as we heard last week he wants to interfere with italian hate law against lgbtq plus persons and at the same time we now learn that he's sent an encouraging message to an american priest for his work with affirming LGBTQ Catholics. So this priest, called James Martin, is a bit of a TV personality. He's been on the Stephen Colbert show, and he, he is described as, quote, one of the country's best-known Catholic priests, end quote. So James Martin got a handwritten letter from Francis last week comparing his work to that of Jesus, and he said, quote, I pray for your faithful, for your flock, and all those whom the Lord places in your care, end quote. That's from Francis. But it also has been confirmed that he stands behind the request to interfere with that Italian law that I mentioned. And we all remember that he stood behind the Vatican Declaration a couple of months ago that said that the church can never bless same-sex marriages. So it seems to me that he's trying to balance everybody's wishes there and uh, as I said, his, his flock is starting to murmur at this point. A Jesuit priest and senior analyst on the religion news service called Thomas J. Rees probably put it best. And he said in an interview, quote, It seems like at the one moment Francis is in one camp and at the next moment he is in another camp. We feel confused, end quote. <laughs> and I understand him. I'm confused too. What does he want? Maybe he's just a guy who says whatever people want to hear at the given moment. I'm not, I'm not sure. Can we give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he's probably confused himself? Maybe he is confused. I, I don't know. No, <laughs> and and the, the listeners don't see this, but Brian is looking very confused as well. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you, you know, some people have got resting bitch face. I've got resting confused face. Uh, okay, so, all right. You know, let's let's not be judgmental. I, I was just um, <laughs> quietly absorbing the information. Wait a minute, let me stroke my right. my pseudo beard here. Yeah. There, is that better? Mm, that's mm. Now, excellent. Very, there we go. Yeah, that's that. That was a little bit pervy, but yeah. All, all right. <laughs> okay, move on. Move on. Move on. Yeah, but the real serious news this week and the news that should really be shouted from the rooftops is the news about Canada, about Catholic schools mm -hmm. uh, for indigenous children. And the, the news that we hear sounds more like the plot of a horror movie than anything else. First of all, a month ago already, we talked about a mass grave with over 200 children in at one of these schools. Now, at another such school... The authorities have found 751 more children dead. Uh, and this is not a mass grave at this time. It's a cemetery. But it had all the tombstones removed before the school was handed over to the federal government in the late uh, 1960s. Uh, and that's, that's a crime, by the way, in Canada, to remove uh, tombstones without notifying anybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now, with the first news and this later news, that's close to a thousand dead only at these two schools. And there are many more such schools, or were many more such schools. In, in the, from, it started in the late 1800s, and it ended in the, well, in the 60s, I would say. And all of these schools are now being researched for more fines like this. 
So what well, I'm, I'm thinking, what kind? Did you ever attend a school that needed a cemetery? Hmm. I would, you know, I was just about to ask the same question. Like, like we had, we had a sports ground. There was a music room, a library. Don't remember. Like may, maybe it was out back. You know, maybe I wasn't studious enough to yeah. to find the cemetery on my school. But no, I, I don't think that's standard, is it? No, it, it isn't, and it shouldn't be. Of course. I mean, I'm I'm sorry. I don't want to make light of this. This is terrible. This is horrible. And um, then, of course, then we go back to to Frankie. What has he got to say about this? Well. He said that his heart is with the families of these children. Mm, nice. End of sentence, right? Okay. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. That's what he has offered. Mm-hmm. Not even an apology. And it's not like he wasn't asked to apologize. We talked about this before. Trudeau, the, the uh, Canadian prime minister, has more or less said in, in public that he wants yeah. uh, the Pope to apologize. And he's not doing it. After himself uh, having made the apology. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he did apologize. Uh, in the name of the Canadian government, which had nothing to do with the whole thing because it was well, way before his time. Yes. Uh, way before his father's time even. Yeah. So, uh... But, but he, 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 uh, he apologized on, the behalf, on behalf of the Canadian government. Exactly. Which he exactly. represents now, even if he wasn't part of it then. And uh, that's the decent thing to do, right? And that's the same situation with Pope Francis, who is the current head of the institution. Yeah, right. He's representing this terrible yeah. organization that let all, all this happen. And I don't know how many more bodies they will find there. Yeah. And let's not forget, like, the ones who died in these institutions, you know, weren't the only ones that suffered. Exactly. You know, there was a lot of abuse. Exactly. Right. A lot of abuse going on in, in these places as well. That's right. Not not a fun school to be at no. uh, for anybody. Right. So, um, you know, asking for an apology, I think, is, is the least right. yeah. that could be expected. I think reparations uh, should be on the table. Yes. And it's all in the name of God. Yep. Works in mysterious ways. Yadi, yadi, yadi. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for poking the Pope once again, Pontus. Mm-hmm. That means that we're moving on to the news. All right, so from some horrible news to some good news at last. Yay! Mm-hmm. The GWUP, the G-W-U-P, the, which is the German skeptics, they have conducted a study. And as I gather, gather it is a, a robust study, not just an online survey or something like that. And that survey shows that the general trust in alternative so-called treatments has fallen in Germany, and it has fallen quite a lot. And, and for a country full of heilpraktikers and uh, a country that spawned such brain farts as Samuel Hahnemann and Rudolf Steiner, that's pretty good news. Yeah. But it's still, I mean, it's still concerning, but much better than before. The, the portion of people in Germany believing in homeopathy has gone down from about uh, 75% to about 33%. And followers of alternative uh, medicine in general is down now to 35%. So it's going down well below half of them, which is still a lot, but it's much better than before. It's a huge drop. It is. is. How many years has that fallen? Over how many years? Yeah, Uh, that's a a good question, because this is the first survey that the GVUP has done. So I'm not quite sure what they're comparing with, but they did mention also something about 20 years ago. So it could be a a rather long time, but they also say that they believe that a lot has happened over the last year because of the pandemic. And they looked into other things as well. They looked into beliefs in uh, clairvoyance, ghosts and other esoteric and pseudoscientific topics and especially one area actually trends in the other direction belief that quote-unquote electrosmog uh, is dangerous has grown so this is fear out of, of uh, electromagnetic fields etc oh okay and that is most likely coming from the ideas that 5g is dangerous and surely also this is fueled by by the pandemic One good news that they have concluded is that no specific political party seems to have a majority of followers that believe in any such BS or pseudoscience. Even the Green Party, which they actually suspected would 
lean more towards pseudo scientific things they are not uh, have they do not have a majority of voters that that favors uh, pseudoscience over science so that's good and our uh, friend Armadeo Sarma president of the GVUP had this to say about the results and i quote it is a good sign for healthcare when two thirds of the population rejects dubious healing methods. The experiences from the pandemic show that we can only fight diseases with science and modern medicine. End quote. And yes, we agree. The survey covered um, people aged 14 and above from March to April 2021. So it's pretty new numbers. And it is, as I said, the first. A survey of this kind that GVP has done, but I they didn't promise anything, but I would suspect that we will see follow-ups in the future. Well, it's nice to see things trending mostly in in the right direction, I guess. Yeah, and it's it's in, it's very good. It's very useful to do these surveys, I believe, because we mm-hmm. we we live our in our bubble, and uh, the pseudo scientific people they live in their bubble, and everybody's shouting at each other, and nobody. It's good to know the facts. How many people are really believing in ghosts, for instance? That's important information. Mm-hmm. And I can say that uh, in the Swedish skeptics, we did such a survey back in 2015, and we now are in discussions with a company the uh, same company actually that the the, the german skeptics uh, used the kantar and we will do a similar survey uh, in the autumn so mm-hmm. stay tuned for that nice very, very good because as you said in our skeptical bubbles we tend to believe that the world is much worse than it actually is mm-hmm. in terms of, of of how how many people believe weird stuff and one of the, the most eye-opening experiences to me was listening to Hans Rosling's talk. I think it was a TED talk. Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. On how statistics show that the world is changing for the better in the long run, but the public's perception of it is completely the opposite. And it's it's really sobering to look through a large amount of data and work with that. So we have to bear that in mind yeah. all the time. I've seen that same talk from Hans Rosling, and, it, and it's nice. It's nice to see extreme poverty at a global scale, you know, trending in the right direction. Unfortunately, it's just such a slow-moving ship, though, right? Yeah. And and I think there's always going to be the frustration that we could be moving that ship a lot faster if we had the right people in charge and the will of the public was was there, you know? So mm-hmm. take the victories when you can get them, folks, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's another thing, but we still have to acknowledge progress. Because otherwise, we're going to lose focus and we're going to lose the ability to work for something if we don't see the progress that we have made with our efforts, with our previous efforts, right? Absolutely. But some things need to be treated as a crisis, and that is climate change as well. I will talk about climate change a little bit later on, but this time I'd like to draw everyone's attention to something that happened to Greta Thunberg, whom we all know as a great climate activist. And her fame came about with the school strike for climate movement that she started, and and then it became a much larger global movement, Fridays for Future. But she could not avoid falling victim to uh, video manipulations either, Mm. as it seems. And it was Snopes who looked at one of the videos that were circulating on Twitter that showed something of a moment when Greta actually, quote-unquote, admits that the climate crisis doesn't exist. (laughs) And it's a very carefully, very misleadingly edited, manipulated video. The thing is that she did say something like that, but what she meant by that was that if it doesn't exist in people's heads, because the governments don't treat it as a crisis, and they don't communicate it as a crisis, how should we expect the people to want change and to want climate action from their governments if they don't treat it as a crisis. Because for them, it doesn't exist as a crisis. Okay. So this is how this kind of manipulation uh, can happen and turn away people from a certain cause because 
there is this piece of video that they treat as evidence in support of their totally misled views about climate change and uh, it all hinders progress so this is this is why i thought it was absolutely important to mention that so can, can we be clear right was this was the video genuine but taken out of context or are we talking deep fake here and, and we're not talking deep fake okay it's a manipulatively edited video okay a real footage on msnbc where uh, she appeared and talked. It was on March the 7th when she appeared on the Mehdi Hassan show. And it was about what uh, President Joe Biden should do to address the climate crisis. And she gave a quite a long response. And she she said in the original footage that the problem is that world leaders don't treat it as it should be treated because they say that I can't do anything because I don't have the support from voters. And then she said, well, how can you expect support and pressure from voters if you aren't treating the crisis like a crisis? Since the climate crisis doesn't exist in their heads, mind you, how can we expect people to want climate action? So okay. this is what someone edited, edited out the, the unnecessary bits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And the comment posting this, the Twitter handle was Patriot276. So there must be some real patriotism going on there. So, um, well, there's at least 275 other ones that to queue up for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good patriot has to deny climate change. <laughs> Greta Thunberg deep fakes would be cool, though, right? We could have her like uh, spinning donuts in a Hummer on a private jet, kicking out, <laughs> kicking penguins out the window or something. Don't give them any ideas, Brian. It'll happen tomorrow. Now, come on, internet, get on the case. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if those videos were already out there. So, <laughs> I don't know about the penguins, but yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, so let's move from talking about deep fakes of Greta Thunberg kicking penguins uh, to <laughs> fake texts in the UK here. So this story comes from bastion of Scottish tabloid journalism, The Daily Record, mm -hmm. but it appears to be a relatively accurate story for a change. Um, new post office failed delivery text scam leads to £80,000 loss for one victim. Wow. Now, my European friends, uh, you know, after Brexit, I don't know how much £80,000 translates to in euros. Probably not a lot. Is it convertible still or is it just valid on your island there? Yeah, I, I, you can probably just barter it for chickens and goats on the on the borders, probably, right? <laughs> so, yeah, um, so a failed delivery tech scam leads to £80,000 loss for one particular victim. And this is a, it describes it as a new scam. It's not really a new scam. It's a, it's the same old scam, maybe with some, um, some different dressing around it. So let me ask you guys, in particularly in COVID times, online ordering has gone up, right? So there's... Mm -hmm. Certainly at Ego Mansions here, there's packages delivering on a very, very regular basis. Not so much for me, more so for my wife and my older daughter, but um, I've had a few, right? But have any of you guys ever had any of those fake delivery message texts arrive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, yes. I mean, at least a handful of times. Yeah, same here. And as I say, I don't do that much online ordering, but even I've had it a few times. So for, for the uninitiated, here's how it works. You get a random text message saying, you missed your delivery. Uh, we tried to deliver your package or something's gone wrong with your package. Uh, and you have to click on a link to, to go and figure out what's happened with whatever package it is you've ordered. When you follow that link, you're taken to what looks like the carrier's website. So in this case, it was the, the UK post office. Um, but we've heard, uh, you know, other stories for UPS and Hermes and uh, all of the other major deliveries, right? So it looks like you're going to their website mm -hmm. and you put in their details and it turns out it's a fakey, fakey website and you just give them your login information. So then they can go and log in on the real site and your details and find out your bank information and steal your cash. There was also another story in uh, in the Irish Examiner about a message that, that talks about, you know, downloading an application onto your phone. And it's essentially just spyware mm. that people are downloading onto their phones. So I'm hoping that our lovely audience members, skeptics as you are, have been clever enough to spot these as they come in because they, they do seem 
you know, pretty much universal um, across different countries, you know, just maybe slightly different formats. So, Andras Pontus, what's your advice for spotting and avoiding these uh, these type of messages? Ooh, I don't know if there's a simple answer to that. I mean, you, you just be very skeptical when you get these and, and you, you try to say, did I, what is this? Did I really order this? Yeah, yeah. if you haven't ordered anything, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> but if you order a lot, you may, you may forget and you say, yeah, oh, well, yeah. I probably did order this. And, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, I guess what you should do is go, if you suspect that and maybe this is real, you should go to the, the, the real uh, order information not click on that link but look up your old order confirmation because very often there is a link to tracking your package that way exactly all right so good start you got there eventually <laughs> andras sorry and, and 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 the other thing is that it's a, it's a usual tool against phishing attempts if you want to avoid accidentally giving out your login details for example, don't just click on emails and messages that you, you're being sent. That's right, that's right. Go on the website that you want to use and log in there yeah. with your login details. Yeah, but I think it's rather rare that they actually know of something that you have ordered. Yeah. So these uh, phishing attempts, they are usually very general. They, doesn't, they don't specify who's the sender. They don't specify what's in the package. They don't specify the value of the package. And, and there's no information there. It's just your package has been delayed. Click here to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So well, if they can't specify what it is, then don't click it. Correct, yeah. So, yeah, general guidance, look, don't respond to suspicious text messages. Don't even reply by messaging like stop or no or anything like that. And yeah, like, mm. ch- check your check your message history, right? If you've had a, a genuine message from a delivery company, then, you know, if you get it from a different number, that's immediately suspicious. But yeah, like don't click on links. Always go straight to the company's website instead. You know, log in using your own credentials uh, and check your order history. And also like take steps to filter unwanted messages or block them. And the same applies like if you get phone calls. It's less common, but you know, it still happens that phone calls come in, right? If somebody says, okay, I'm phoning from Microsoft about your computer. Okay, fine. Hang up on them and phone the Microsoft call center right good luck getting through to a human being in microsoft right just as an example right (laughs) (laughs) you'd be so happy that one of them actually wanted to talk to you that you'll fall for it exactly like general rule of thumb don't answer your phone anyway right phone calls are awful and should be avoided at the best of times right so but you know one you know just to end the story like we did there was a little bit of good news last week in the uk so one of the Hermes delivery tech scams, um, we have an arrest. So a man in Manchester was arrested last week in a city centre hotel, strangely, after an estimated 26,000 fraudulent text messages uh, were sent in one day. Officers went to the hotel in the centre of Manchester after staff uh, reported suspicious activity by a man seen with a large amount of cables in a bag. (laughs) Hotel staff are meant to be discreet, right? But I would encourage, you know, all hotel staff, don't be discreet, okay? You know, so kudos to the the staff member that spotted, you know, the the, the person walking up and down to their room with like loads of cables and electrical goods. If it's me checking in at a hotel, usually I'm going back and forward bringing like um, alcohol and cheap food um, up to my room because I'm too cheap to buy out the hotel, right? But uh, <laughs> that's uh, illegal to the best of my knowledge, right? So, but yeah, the man's hotel room was found to have like equipment and it, the, all that electrical equipment and the officers could establish it was part of a, a text message scam uh, known as phishing. So you guys mentioned it, it's like a spear phishing operation. So 21-year-old man is currently under arrest and is going to be charged which is good news, but I would imagine that's the tip of the iceberg. So my sceptical friends, listeners, you might be wise enough to spot this, but please have a chat with your less sceptical friends and particularly your elderly relatives as well who are more likely to be um, duped by this sort of thing. You have been warned. One last piece of advice. I mean, anybody could fall for this if you're not paying attention a little bit. And if you do, if you suspect, shit, I did something stupid, 
Call the police. Do something. Don't just stick your head in the sand and, and because you're ashamed to admit that you did something stupid. Yep. Do something about it. Freeze your bank account. Call your bank. Call the police. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do that. This was a public service announcement by the European Skeptics <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> hey, all right. You're welcome. Okay. So we have more uh, public service announcements. If you live in the, or if you speak German, you don't, I don't think you have to live in, in Germany to do this. There is something good out now, and that is the vaccination book for everybody, or in the, as it, in the original language, Das Impfbuch für alle. <laughs> so this is this is that. There you go. This is what you get when Annika is off. Uh, if Annika's listening to this, she will. Have, yeah, she's <laughs> she's just switched off right now. Sorry, Annika. Anyway, this vaccine book for everybody is available mm-hmm. for free as a PDF and also as a paperback. You can go to download it from the German Federal Ministry of Health and that you can just order it from there and uh, of course the German Federal Ministry of Health is called Das Bundesgesundheitsministerium Nailed it. Sounded like some kind of lung disease (laughs) and uh, that's where you go and uh, we will put the link you will put the link in the show notes in case you didn't get all of the syllables right there but this is and I read now from their webpage the vaccination book gives readers well-founded answers to the most pressing questions about corona vaccination how was it possible to develop the vaccines against the coronavirus in record time how do the vaccines actually work and what side effects are to be expected what if i don't get vaccinated in addition, the vaccine book tells about the origin of the vaccination and how did we get rid of life-threatening diseases such as smallpox, polio or rabies. Well, we didn't get rid of rabies, but we got it under control. Uh, it's a very interesting book. I think it's good. And it's called Das Impfbuch für alle. And um, you should download it if you can read German. But also, I should add... It does say on the webpage that other languages are to be expected. So they are going to translate this to other languages. They didn't specify which. Okay. It'll be interesting to see how effective that is. I would imagine those who already distrust the government might not react well to a publication coming from them about the subject, but at least they're trying to do something, right? Yeah, you're you're right. The vaccine hesitant person or a vaccine denier will probably not download this book and, and read it from from end to end but at least the real information is out there and if you want arguments to to use when you discuss with vaccine hesitant people mm-hmm. uh, I, i'm sure you can find a lot of good answers in this book absolutely good fuel folks All right, if you want to read books that are not very much uh, fun to read, but are very important, or at least not necessarily books, but at least the length of them are similar, read some European laws. Those are very fascinating. And one of of the new ones of that is the EU climate law. And um, uh, last week, the members of European Parliament confirmed the European Green Deal's political commitment in the form of the EU climate law, which will take effect soon. And the the thing is that this is to ensure the climate actions are being taken by the European Union. And compared to the original proposal, it is a much more ambitious plan to reduce emissions uh, throughout the European region. And by 2030, the target of emission reduction is at least 55% by 2030, which is quite ambitious. And uh, by 2050, it should go down to zero. So uh, like a net zero carbon emission. And after 2050, the plan is, based on this, to emit less carbon dioxide than is um, absorbed 
by uh, different means. So it would be carbon negative in a way. Carbon negative is what we aim for after 2050. Hmm. And what's important is that this climate law will make the European Green Deal a binding obligation. And uh, that is very important. Well, some people still argue that this is not enough. But there will be budgetary adjustments as well based on this. So the the new EU budget will take this all this into account. And obviously, this had to be in, included in the wording of the law as well. And What's even more important is that there will be a European Scientific Advisory Board on Climate Change set up, which will be monitoring the progress on a, I think, every second year, it will put out an assessment of the current state of the, the climate actions, which is... Well, promising, but we will have to see the actual numbers. And why I'm a little bit skeptical is because possibility and plausibility are two different things, obviously. And in in this regard, the plausibility has to take into account what we've already mentioned in the context of the fake video about uh, Greta Thunberg. Because the climate action that has to be taken needs to have the the public support but without that it's not very plausible to happen we can have that eu climate law but we will probably not be able to maintain the 1.5 degrees celsius target of decarbonization what i'm referring to is that we want to keep the global uh, temperature rise under 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels. But we've already seen that to be very implausible. On the other hand, there are new estimates and those estimates Mm. uh, suggest that a much more likely scenario with the physical and social aspects all assessed and put together, uh, the much more likely scenario is a a, um, temperature rise of about 1.7 degrees Celsius. So that is the minimum uh, that we should expect. And uh, less optimistic scenarios suggest an even higher, much higher, closer to 4.9 degrees Celsius temperature rise in the long run. And then we're really screwed. (laughs) Yeah. So it's one thing to have the climate law, but how we implement all that and how we can have the public support is a different thing. There are possibilities here. There are physical possibilities. There is the science. There is a technology that we have to use and we could use. And But there is a social aspect that we should not disregard. We have to take that into account because without that, we cannot achieve anything. So communication, communication, communication. Okay, so did I bring down the mood? Right. Uh, effectively? Okay, good. <laughs> a little bit. Um, then I'm happy to report that uh, this is all the news items that we have prepared for this week. So uh, let's find out who's been really wrong lately. Or really right? Yeah, no, it's a really wrong. I'm sure it won't. Uh, it's not certain that we bring the mood up, but maybe a little bit. We see all the time how sellers of certain food and drink products promote very dubious claims. That's why we need government agencies not only to create guidelines for what's allowed, but also some way of enforcing those guidelines. And and such an agency is, for example, the French DGCCRF. And now we go again. I tried my hand on, on German before, now it's French. The DGCCRF is, of course, La Direction Générale de la Concurrence, de la Consommation et de la Répression des Fraudes. Yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course, you knew that. Yes. The English translation is the General Directorate of Competition, Consumption and Repression of Frauds. So that's a pithy name for an organization. Catchy. 
Loved their first album. <laughs> yeah, it was always convenient when you put the whole mission statement into the name of your organization, and then you know what it's all about. <laughs> anyway, this DGCCRF has looked into the claims made of, uh, for common foodstuffs in France, such as different kinds of juices and fruit and other things that are often marketed as quote-unquote natural or quote good for you, end quote. And the results were a bit depressing. Uh, checking compliance uh, by professionals with European regulations on health claims, they found that there was an average anomaly rate of 44% during the control of, quote, more than 300 establishments, end quote. So 44% of the claims of the product were, were not uh, within the, the what was allowed to say. Uh, the worst were different kinds of herbal teas, chocolates, for one thing. The chocolates are, are sold with so-called health benefits. Also breakfast cereals and bee products, so bee wax and, and stuff like that. Uh, most commonly, there were claims uh, that the product was uh, quote-unquote therapeutical or had quote unauthorized health claims, uh, had unproven claims or generally claims that were too general to, to have any substance. Very common were the use of words like superfruit, detox, or claims about boosting the immune system. That's always very popular. So all in all, the DGCCRF handed out 60 warnings, 71 injunctions, and 17 uh, remarks, uh, or, or minutes they call it, that, that, that people want, you know, you need to change these things. So the question is, uh, who am I going to appoint to be really wrong here? Well, first of all, for trying to claim that food has medical uses, which misleads the public into seeking cure in expensive juices or, or things like that, or also riding on the appeal of the natural fallacy, the appeal to nature fallacy, uh, the whole segment of this this food segment of uh, of uh, gets a really wrong but then i also want to say that the dgccrf and authorities like it even if they are the good guys in this particular story because they actually went out and checked mm -hmm. they are not active enough to police these matters they they are at fault here as well we see this all the time and often if you file a complaint and we've done that a lot from the swedish skeptics nothing happens it's just a slap on the wrist and uh, please promise to do that. Do not do that again. And and then the industry goes back uh, and, and it's just business as usual as, as if nothing happened. So I think this is an area which people don't realize is very, very serious because it's very attractive for people to seek cures into adjusting their diets, eating quote unquote natural instead of seeking out real cures, real medicine. So um, there you go. I do have a certain amount of sympathy for them though, right? Because, mm. you know, it's like here in the UK, like we have the Advertising Standards Authority, we have Trading Standards. You know, the the, the ASA are pretty good at, at working on, uh, you know, complaints um, about product advertising, but they don't actually have any powers to enforce right mm -hmm. and as far as trading standards are concerned they're just hugely underfunded mm. uh, and overworked yeah so it's very hard to get them to take on a case and i think they're they're only going to take on more significant major cases right so for many companies who are you know touting products that have some kind of health benefit generally there's an understanding well if it doesn't actually do you any harm then it's not as big a risk as something, for example, that is genuinely harmful, right? Mm. And and so the the attention of the regulatory bodies is kind of you know diverted off in in other directions. So you know I don't know how well funded and well staffed they are, but I'd imagine there's a lot of busy people in there with not enough time and mm -hmm. maybe even not enough power to to come down as hard as as we'd like yeah. on uh, on companies like that. 
Yeah, and I also I think the, the government makes it unnecessarily difficult for them to work as well because very often there are many different bodies mm-hmm. and it's not always clear where the jurisdiction is between the different bodies. I saw just before we started recording, so I didn't actually look into it more closely, but after Brexit now in, in, in the UK, Brian, um, Boris Johnson has a task now to sort out what authorities are supposed to look into these different things. Because when the EU regulation disappears, it has to be made sure that you still have regulation and that you have different authorities in your country that that looks at this and they mentioned i think five different government bodies that all had some sort of say into these things and that makes things very complicated (laughs) sure does i i will not hold my breath for an efficient tackling of that from uh, from our, our overlords here in the uk no, but, but m- uh, most of those actions have even recently been uh, handled by the, the member states. Yeah, like uh, that's right. here in Hungary, we have a very effective authority that is, and you Pontus have already spoken very highly of that body, uh, which is a government organization, and that is the the competition authority, <laughs> and they have the power to to enforce their um, uh, rules because. They can fine companies, they can fine people, and they can order them to take everything down because else you will go into court uh, for this and you will lose all your licenses and everything. Mm. So uh, it, it can come down very hard on those mm-hmm. who try to mislead the public and gain an advantage, a market advantage. And this is why it's uh, under the jurisdiction of the competition authority. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's clear who, which body is governing this, and that give them the, yeah. as you say, you give them the teeth to actually enforce the the rules, then then it's fine. But I think in many countries it, it's fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is. Yeah. All right. So thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And nothing left, but. A quote. And uh, this quote comes from the distant past because it was some t- sometime around the 2nd century AD that uh, this was uh, worded the, the way it is. Uh, not in English, though. <laughs> it's a translation that I had to use mm-hmm. because it came from Marcus Aurelius, who was an emperor and a stoic philosopher of great fame. So, what he said was, Nothing has such power to broaden the mind as the ability to investigate systematically and truly all that comes under thy observation in life. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Deep, isn't it? Right? <laughs> that is deep. It is deep. But you, you should follow that. So, so yeah. investigate systematically... And this will broaden your mind. And um, indeed, investigate, investigate, investigate. Yeah. That's <laughs> oh right. no, no, no. That's that's different. Sorry. So, <laughs> can we have it in Latin, please? Can we have the Latin version? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the Daleks spoke Latin, but <laughs> well, <laughs> none of their concern. All right. So, um, guys, thanks for joining me today. Brian, it, it was it was great having you on again. Come more often. Lovely to be back. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Many thanks uh, to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Get up, yeah. Hey, do. Bis lat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. 
All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. I'm your host, Andre Spinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Brian Egg. <laughs> sorry, sorry for Brian. <laughs> Brian. <laughs> okay, this is going to be a long night. Okay. And, uh... <coughs> Oh, stellar work. Okay. You need some miracle spring water, Andras. Come on. There you go. There you go. Don't drink it. It's not supposed to be drunk. <sighs> You're not meant to ingest it right enough. I mean, uh, consecrate oops. yourself with it next time, Andras. Okay. <laughs> oops. Uh, never mind. I'll survive. I will survive. <laughs> All right, Brian. I think you can sort of try to find your way through a segue over to the next one. Oh, is it me next? Yeah, it's you. Motherfuckers. I thought there was one. You thought we were bringing you just for... Oh, yeah. And this week's quote comes from the past. Well into the past. (laughs) We usually don't have them from the future, Andras. So I think Next week's quote is going to come from the future. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let me me rephrase that. (laughs) 